Our scripture this morning is from the book of Genesis, chapter 9, verses 8 through 17. It's pages 6 and 7 in your pew Bible. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, As for me, I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the domestic animals, and every animal of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, This is a sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the clouds, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, This is a sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is, that is on the earth. The word of the Lord for the people of the, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I don't believe I've ever told you about this person in my life, but he was my college roommate for two years. Now, my freshman year, there was Mark, and Mark was a potluck roommate, which meant I filled out a survey, he filled out a survey, and Furman University just sort of did a compatibility test and said, I think you two would be pretty good roommates. And we were. Mark was clean. Mark was neat. Mark was predictable. Every weekend, he went home to Tennessee to see his girlfriend. I had the whole place to myself. I mean, Mark and I got along just fine. But across the hall, there was another individual who I became fast friends with. And and we could not be any more different or apart, which obviously would lead me to the conclusion that he would be an excellent roommate. His name was Stefan. And, and if there were a few things that Stefan was not, it was clean, it was neat, and it was predictable. And yet, um, it was me, me who asked Stefan, hey, next year, when I'm a resident advisor on a freshman hall, would you like to be my roommate? And he gave a wholehearted yes. Stefan was in. And, and I was so excited. And it was a lot of fun. But it was also pretty chaotic. Um, Stefan had the unique ability to make anything look like a pigsty in about 0.2 seconds. It was impossible to keep the room clean. Stefan was a person who kept very odd hours, if you've ever had a roommate like that. Uh, His schedule was to sleep all day and to play video games all night, if you know the type. 
Stefan was a lot of things, including the fact that Stefan was brilliant. Um, Stefan was the only person that would actually hear me give a recap of the notes I had taken between reading and class, having done neither of those two things, and still go and make a better grade on the test than I did. It drove me crazy. Uh, Stefan was also hilarious. He could tell a story, and he could also get himself into a bind that would leave you scratching your head and also laughing hysterically in the same bit. One of the things that happened our sophomore year that was of particular humor was the fact that we were to be a showcase room. That meant that Furman paid us a small stipend so that we would keep our room clean and be able to showcase it to prospective students who would be walking the dormitory halls to see if this is where they wanted to go to school. It was a pretty sweet gig, save one problem. Um, Stefan did not obey any of the hours and kept the room in all sorts of miserable conditions, including this one time when an entire group of students along with their parents were being led into our room. And uh, the student guide was giving the whole spiel of this is a typical room of Furman University. And uh, what she did not realize was that Stefan was still asleep on the bed. At some point during this lecture, Stefan awakes and is sort of looking around. And then all of a sudden, one of the mothers raises her hand and the student guy says, yes, ma'am. And She asks very innocently, I I wish I could have been there. She just asks, is that a man? (laughs) If I'm lying, I'm dying. Uh, Our sophomore year, Stefan and I, we shared a class together. Now, I took the class because I was trying to be a history and Spanish double major. It was called the History of Modern China. Stefan, I think, took the class because I was in it and probably missed the registration deadline and had to take whatever was left available for for available classes. Every single morning, almost, because there were several mornings that he would just choose not to go, we, we would walk to class. And it would be all I could do not to just get so frustrated and angry with Stefan. It did not seem to matter how late we were. He had one speed. And that was slow. And every time that I tried to urge him, urge him to go faster, he surprised me by showing me that he had a second speed, which was slower. Okay? And this one time, I was just so upset with him. I was like, Stefan, we have to get to class. We, we cannot be late again. Everybody looks at us. And contrary to you, I actually care what others think of me. And he just looked at me, and he had this most carefree expression on his face. And then he leveled this wisdom that um, I still remember today. Excuse me as I do an impersonation of Stefan. Dave, life's a journey, not a destination. I stepped back. I mean, it was a prophetic utterance from none other than Stefan himself. How true it was. There was a lot of things that Stefan didn't have figured out, like how to graduate on time or how to not get kicked out of the dining hall for having eaten too much. But there was one thing that Stefan did know. Life is a journey, not a destination. And it's in that journey where our focus is all about who we are 
becoming, not necessarily where we end up. I think that's true for this series in Lent. We're on a 40-day journey together, a pilgrim's journey, which means we're in partnership with God. And it's not to any specific destination, but this journey is all about who you are becoming along the way. And the goal of this series, as well as this Lenten season, is that if we are in partnership with God during our journey, we will become more like Resurrection Hope, which we will celebrate on Easter Sunday. And that is an amazing, transformative, powerful thing that will bless you, not only in your immediate, but for the whole of your life. As I've been looking in scripture about people that exemplified a journey, I could not help but land on an old, old, old story from the very beginning that features none other than a man named Noah in a boat they call an ark. Now, this is a story that fascinates not only the church, You probably have remembered that Noah and the ark was told at every single children's VBS that you were ever a part of and was probably painted on some wall within the children's section of the church. But it also is fascinating to the secular world. Anybody remember seeing the movie Evan Almighty? What a great retelling of Noah and the ark. Then there was that horrible movie that was done by Russell Crowe. Does anybody remember that one? Boy, that was terrible, but also (laughs) expressing that fascination with, with Noah and the Ark. And then even recently, the New York Times reviewed an independent film called Ark of Oblivion, which is once again inspired by Noah and the Ark. Within the Ark of Oblivion movie, there's a very interesting question that the movie proposes and tries to answer, which is, what is it from this world that's worth packing? Now, that's pretty interesting, isn't it? What is it from this world that's worth packing? You know, when you're on a journey, it's important that you only have the essentials packed that are going to help you not only complete the journey, but moreover, enjoy the journey. If you pack heavy with unnecessary burdens and trials and complexities, you're not going to enjoy the journey, and probably more than likely, you're going to give up and quit somewhere along the way. You see, packing light is something that Noah is given the opportunity to explore and, in fact, do in the scripture that you just heard read to us. This scripture that was read to you by Shelley was all about everything that happens after the flood. And after the flood is probably the time that you and I can see what we need to do most with this story. I know whether it's here in churches or in the secular world, we get so caught up in the flood and the destruction of the earth, but we lose focus on the fact that all of that was a part of God's plan and process so that after the flood we collectively might live differently. Not only Noah's family then, but you and me too. What does different look like? The question Noah is trying to answer is, what from this world is worth packing? And God is saying, Noah, 
pack light. Life's not a destination. Life's a journey. So take things along the way which are going to be reminders to you, encouragements to your heart, and blessings to your life so that as you are continually journeying forward, you are becoming more and more in line with my hope for your life. So as Noah is there with his family after the 40 days and 40 nights of what could only have been pure misery, After all, some of you wouldn't make it to Alabama packed in the car together with your family and your dog. Imagine that being the whole of your family and all the animals in the world. Noah finally lands on dry land. And God speaks over Noah the same words that he spoke over humanity in Genesis chapter 1. Be fruitful and multiply. Subdue the earth. It's God's way of saying, live life and live it to the full in partnership with me. And as Noah hears those words, he makes sacrifices to the Lord, both showing his repentance for the sins of humanity, but also his hope for what life will be like moving forward in partnership with God. And as surely as he does that, God does something amazing in front of all of Noah's family. He He gives them nothing more than a brilliant display of God's everlasting peace, which is of irrevocable quality. Now, some scriptures will say rainbow, but the one that we read today simply says bow. Now, I asked some of you if you had a bow available for me to borrow. And while this is a bit overstated... In fact, I believe it was once a prop on a Rambo movie. I hope that you'll get the point. It's no accident that you heard it translated as bow in your scripture. That's because in the ancient times, the bow was the instrument of war. And every single household had them in case there came an enemy or an invading force and you had to grab your weapon and fend the home fort. But it's very important the position that the bow is hung in your house. One position means bow at the ready, it's time to go to war. But the other position means the bow is at rest. And this is a time of peace. And so God is not only showing Noah that The weapon of war is hung up now and forevermore. Never again will I war against humanity. Never again will I destroy them. He's also saying, you have an irrevocable sign of peace over your life. And that is exactly what I want you to pack as you move forward in this next but different chapter of your journey. I think it's no surprise that that moment was so beautiful that other translations of the Bible describe it as rainbow. If you've ever seen a rainbow, it seems to capture the hearts and imaginations of everybody that's able to see it. Oftentimes, people see people even taking a picture of a rainbow. I've tried it. It's like taking a picture of a full moon. You think it's going to turn out great, but when you go back and look at it afterwards, it's somewhat unimpressive. But the rainbow is that full display of peace. Just like God's peace, it it mixes both 
the rain clouds and the light, just like God's peace mixes our dark past and his eternal hope. And that's what makes it so beautiful. And when we pack light, we put the peace of God forever in our hearts. Not because the journey ahead is supposed to be about our perfection. Trust me when I say this, moving forward, Noah does not live a perfect life. In the same chapter, after the rainbow, Noah plants a vineyard. He makes some wine. And he enjoys his shine just a bit too much. So much so that he falls asleep naked, and it is to the ultimate embarrassment and shame of everyone. Now, folks, I know that you're not going to go as far off the rails as Noah did, let's hope. But pastor even said, just this past Wednesday as a part of Lent, I'm going to give up sweets. And then working at home on Thursday, I found myself just mindlessly going underneath the candy machine in Maggie's room and getting a handful of M&Ms and popping them only until I realized, oh my goodness, this is the exact same thing I said I wouldn't do. Now that's two strikes, Maggie. I see your face. (laughs) Number one, I had sweets, but number two, I'm a repeat offender. I've always stolen her candy and will continue to do so. This journey ahead of you is not about perfection. The journey ahead of you with God's irrevocable peace is all about honesty. It's all about you going to God and being a real person, saying that while I'm striving to be the fulfillment of your vision for this earth, that you and I in partnership will go forward, fulfill the earth, will we'll multiply, will increase, will we'll live to the ultimate example of human thriving. Ultimately, what I'm saying is that I'm going to do so and I'm going to have shortcomings and edges that are going to become readily apparent. And all God does is he says, and when that happens, you talk to me about it. If you've messed up, say so. If you've hurt someone in the process, let them know. And in that spirit of honesty, you see the true fulfillment and promise of peace. It's not about human performance. It's about the grace of God. An immutable, irrevocable quality that he speaks over your life today, just like he did Noah and his family. And he said, let this be your inspiration. Let this be your stay. And in the fulfillment of time, God knew that not only would he have to put many more rainbows on display to continuously remind you and me that there is always hope, he knew he had to give us a real-life example. And if there's any person that ever lived his life in the fulfillment of brilliant display of beauty and color and full imagination, it's Jesus. And Jesus looks at our lives and he says... I'm the constant reminder. I'm the immutable display of God's grace. On this journey that is before us, there's nothing you can do that will make me want to retract or remove my display of grace over you. It has been displayed universally on the cross, and it's been claimed eternally with an empty tomb. It's not going anywhere, folks. But more than that, Jesus says in this journey, you never walk 
alone. He knows this pilgrim's journey best because he was the one that walked this pilgrim's journey most. He lived in the full spirit of transparency with God and with the people beside him. And ultimately, because he loves us so much, he comes back to say, and in the journey ahead, allow me to be that ever-present reminder that I am with you. I'm like the rainbow that will never die over your heart. This reminds me of a hymn, a hymn that we will soon sing at the conclusion of the service, but a hymn that we will also journey through in the remainder of this series as we prepare for Easter. It's the hymn, He Leadeth Me, and I want to read briefly the text. He leadeth me, O blessed thought, O words with heavenly comfort fraught, Whate'er I do, where'er I be, still tis God's hand that leadeth me. He leadeth me, he leadeth me, by his own hand he leadeth me. His faithful follower I would be, for by his hand he leadeth me. I don't know what reminder you need today of God's immutable peace and love and grace over your life. But let me now invite you to one that is as old as the church, wherein Christians across the generations have gathered to remember the night where Jesus was with his last earthly night and his disciples and took the moment to have a meal with them. He said many things to them about his dreams for how they would carry forward, but in the immediacy of that moment, he wanted them to know this bread is no longer the bread of the Passover. It is, in fact, my body broken for you. And this wine that we are drinking, it's no longer the wine of the covenant, but in fact, it's the wine of the new covenant. It speaks the fact that my blood will be poured out of, you, out of me for you, but in that there will be atonement for your sins for now and forevermore. But don't ever forget this, disciples, and he would say this today. Don't ever forget that I'm with you now and always. I'll lead you.